Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. I'd like to give a special hello to my sister Maureen and Tom, who joined us this Shabbat online from North Carolina. Love you guys. My sister has an amazing uh, women's ministry uh, back there. She's a, often a guest speaker on the radio, and uh, she's an author, too. So I just want to give a shout-out to my sister. I love you. So what I want to talk about today is I think we all have the desire to draw closer to God. And I remember, gosh, I think it was the first drosh I did, and I asked David Schiller. I think it was about 12 years ago. I said, David, how do you come up? with these unbelievable messages week after week. And he was getting ready to tell me, and I braced for this wisdom, and he said, use plenty of scripture. And you know, God doesn't need my help with his word. So as I put these scriptures up and we walk through what they mean today, I just ask, I just pray that God will touch your heart by the outline that I put together. During our men's retreat last spring, We studied this book, Personal Holiness in Times of Temptation. It's written by Bruce Wilkinson. In the book, Bruce outlines from the scriptures practical daily application for us to use to become holy, further set apart to discover God's ultimate purpose for us to live lives that he prepared for us to fully experience his grace and his peace. He asks, how can we make our lives holy when we're surrounded by so much sin. This book was published 22 years ago, yet sadly, less and less believers pursue a deep and personal relationship with Yeshua, one that desires for us to be holy. I found some notes from a drosh I did eight years ago. I stated back then, I feel like the evil is escalating out of control. Glad to be here today and see it's gotten so much better. And I was reflecting from March of last year as I was preparing for our men's retreat. A week would go by and I'd be thinking to myself, it can't get any worse. Then next week would come and I'd shake my head and say it got worse. Now it seems you can't go one single day without more evil on full display in front of us. The perpetrators don't even try to hide it anymore. And sadly, we've become numb to it. We've become to expect it. The scriptures tell us, however, that God uses evil for his good. I found myself getting so dismayed and upset with these current events, I wanted to scream. But instead, God reminded me that we only trust in him. You see, when we look at this accelerating evil that's all around us, it should revoke, or should invoke rather, I'm sorry, a response in the believer's heart to further seek our role model of righteousness, Yeshua, our Messiah. We need to realize that his desire for for his people is to purify ourselves. Each person here is on their own path for personal holiness, and we're all at different places in our walk. So we're going to focus today on application to examine our daily practices to enable us to produce and expand on our own personal holiness in relationship with Yeshua. 
Let me ask this question. If Yeshua were to give each of us an assessment on where we are today regarding your personal holiness with him, what would be some of the common elements? Bruce refers to this in his book as a, a holiness factor. Or to put it into scripture, where are you in your sanctification process? Do we even have a solid understanding of what this truly means or looks like? One, I would discern that the vast majority of us here today believe in Yeshua and actively are pursuing a growing relationship with him. Maybe there are some here today that want to believe, and they're here because the Lord is pulling at them to seek only him. I also believe that most believers struggle with unbelief at times, partial hardening of our hearts, which grieves the Holy Spirit, which upsets our personal walk, it upsets our growth, and it ultimately our spirit will struggle to find peace. Some of us have areas of sin that we've struggled with for years and can't seem to shake it off, despite making constant efforts to become more holy. But ultimately, Yeshua wants us so on fire that our light is so blinding that we are drawing others around us to desire what we have, Yeshua faith. That is what the loving Father wants for his children, to continue in purifying our hearts further progressing to being holy as he is holy. To love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. Here's the good news. We all have the gospel of grace. We know it's in Messiah Yeshua who wins this war against evil. And we're called to follow and trust only in him. And we all must endure till the end to be saved. The Lord knew we were going to have these troubles. Let's look at on the overhead on Mark 13, 13. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end that will be saved. At a Bible study, a few of us men here at that time attended several weeks ago. Dr. Steve Farrar stated this. These are super exciting times for us to be in as believers. Steve's often got this great sense of humor, so we all kind of chuckled because uh, we were in the midst of all this craziness that was un- unfolding. But he was quite serious. He said, God has us right here, right now, by his perfect plan. His plan is for every one of us alive here today. Jeremiah one five tells us, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We're right here right now by his design. His plan is absolutely perfect for us. And our grace and peace is only found in him as we reject this rampant evil surrounding us to fill, fulfill our calling to be holy as I am holy by drawing closer to Yeshua. I personally sense The Lord is about ready to do some new things. I sense the lion is about ready to to roar. We find in Acts 1, verse 6, So when the Lord had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not 
for you to know the time or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest part of earth. We all can't have a half-hearted attitude towards you following Yeshua. It's time to get absolutely serious about whom we are in the body and to continue in our personal holiness. We know God's plan is absolutely perfect, and he is in complete control. His plan is fixed, it's perfect, and we shall be witnesses to his plan. Amen? So let's talk about 2020 for a minute. Um, It was a challenging year for everybody in this room. I personally went through some challenges and trials. I found myself having several weeks of bitterness. And in discussion at our men's retreat, the stress of last year was so extreme, many of us were troubled. Looking back now, however, it was a period of tremendous growth for us. God needed to teach us all some more things. As it is only in God that we can learn and become more holy. Every person in this room has more to learn and more to walk out. We all must endure to the end. It's in our human nature to forge ahead with our own plan. But it better be in sync with God's ultimate plan for our lives or we will struggle. I, like many, found my spirit getting pretty uneasy last year. I found myself rejecting this new normal. Not for me. I wanted the old normal back. But then I started to think, what exactly was the old normal? found myself wanting to flee as far as I could get from the evil that is so escalating out of control. I started to bury myself in the scripture and word and prayer like never before. I needed to rekindle and stoke that fire inside me. I needed a double portion daily. The only place any of us can find peace is to feed the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from within. And when when we feed that Spirit where it's burning so bright, Satan must flee. I started a daily routine using four simple principles that are proven to help us draw closer to God. Many of you already do this, which is awesome. But I hope to share some examples of why this is so important. Everyone has to be honest with themselves and ask themselves about this today. Are you making this a daily practice to grow and trust in God? Just showing up on Shabbat does not cover your daily walk. Today we're going to get laser focused on the scriptures we all need to be putting into full application. Not just on Shabbat, but as Yeshua tells us, Every single day. Here's my outline for today. Where are you in your current relationship with the Lord or your personal holiness? How do you put some biblical practices in place that will help you grow closer to God? I'm going to share a biblical example. We're going to look at the book of Daniel and what I'm calling Daniel faith. And then I'm going to close on how we apply this during the times of Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is two weeks away for us. 
Starting back in March of last year, I had to do my own personal assessment. Was my faith and love for the Lord truly 100% of where it needed to be? Was I cheating myself out of the blessings and the spirit of peace the Lord gives generously because I had some level of unbelief? In a true personal assessment, I found the answer to be yes. I was having some struggles. The pandemic caused some trials in my work life. My plan and what I worked on for two years collapsed. I got bitter. I got angry. I got uneasy. I realized I was going about this earthly trouble in the absolute wrong way. And to be honest, I knew better. I finally woke up and turned it all over to Yeshua in prayer. And the Lord in his amazing grace and love showed me once again, my ways are not your ways. And my plan is not your plan. Trust only in me. And many of you know I work in information technology. And in my line of work, we do a lot of different kind of assessments. An honest assessment of any kind looks at the current state of what it is you're making an audit of. We collect the baseline set of facts that we can see. Then that assessment usually reports back on the facts as to what we found and has some recommended course of actions and different options for next steps. Some of these assessments can be as drastic as tear it all down and start over or as simple as some fine-tuning. We will look to assess our personal holiness. We have to be honest with ourselves. The Lord, however, does not need to make any assessment of any of us. He knows exactly where we are in relationship with him. He knows your heart. He knows your sin. And he knows you physically down to each numbered hair on your head. Today, as we study this personal holiness, let the word and let the scriptures draw you closer to him. I'm going to share this quote on the overhead from Oswald Chambers. The destined end of man is not happiness, nor health, but holiness. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because he had created them to be holy. Here is our anchor verse for our study today in personal holiness. Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. We have a joke, my wife and I, who says, you can't remember squat. And it goes back and forth. So we can't trust our minds. And we're going to see in the scripture that God tells us to renew our mind daily. It has to be a daily focus for us. Do you know, I did some research in the scriptures. Do you know how many times God tells us to remember? Over 230 times in the scriptures we're told to remember. Why? Because we forget things. And if our minds are not so focused on the Lord and his word, and you're not remembering everything he has for you in his word, it needs to be so. Psalm 119.11 tells us, I have hidden your word in my heart 
so that I may not sin against you. Bruce writes, holiness requires separation from the secular to the sacred. We abandon our old, unholy ways, and we pursue his holy way. Biblical holiness must have a stop followed by a start. Our own personal holiness as our sanctification process also has stages of growth. Notice the the two distinct parts in 2 Timothy, verse 22. Now flee from your youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. We know this verse from 1 Peter chapter 1, 15 and 16, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. I looked at this again. It doesn't say some of your behavior. It says to be holy in all your behavior. Captured in this verse is the call of the Lord to every one of us personally. The Lord calls us to be holy. He pleads for his people to come and be separated onto him. Devoted to become more like Yeshua in our character and our conduct. Our hearts can discover incredible power of release and reattachment. But Bruce also warns, be very careful of man-made holiness. It's a distraction and it's dangerous. Let's look at Colossians 2, verse 20. If you have died with Messiah to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to such decrees as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use? In accordance with these commandments and teachings of men, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Ask yourself, am I holy or not? If I'm holy, why does the Bible command me to live holy? How could believers that are called holy in one verse... Later in the same chapter, be strongly exhorted to stop living such sinful lives. How could be they, we be holy, yet we're being unholy? We can take a handful of verses to the believer and prove that you're holy. So live what you are. James 1 verse 22 tells us, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Then we can also take a handful of verses and prove that you'll be holy one day. So you better keep growing to be holy. Rav Shaul tells us that he has not yet achieved nor finished the race, nor reached the prize. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And in the spirit of our God. Earlier in uh, chapter 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, it's written, And I, brothers and sisters, cannot speak to you 
as spiritual people, but only as fleshly, as to infants in Messiah. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to consume it. But even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like ordinary people? Lewis Castle writes this. I'll put it up on the overhead. Yeshua did not say, come to me and get it over with. He said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Daily is the key word. Our commitment to Christ, however genuine and wholehearted it may be today, must be renewed tomorrow and the day after and the day after that until the path comes at last to the river. It's about this daily renewing of our minds. You cannot say to yourself, I've read the Bible cover to cover three times. I've been coming that time for 10 years. It is a daily practice of renewing your mind following Yeshua. Notice a pattern here. There is so much in the scriptures on remembrance and our mind. As I thought about this, I wanted to share a personal story that might put this into context. After graduating college, I was hired by a company that manufactured enterprise mainframe computer systems. I was with them at this time about six years when they relocated me to Florida to support NASA and Harris Corporation. God actually relocated me to Florida to meet my soulmate. (laughs) But my job there was to support NASA and Harris from a computer system standpoint. Harris had me participate in their mentor program with their interns. I would typically once a week walk them through the data center and teach them something about the computers and the technology. One day on my way back from lunch, I hear, hey, Marty, as I pass by their office. As I walk in, I see they have their college books open, circuit theory and transform analysis. Hey, I had this course myself in college. And for those who know calculus, this is calculus six and known as the knockout punch for engineering students. They say, Marty, we're stuck. Can you help us? And I chuckled as I thought to myself, boy, did they luck out and come to the right place. I passed this at the top of my class. They go and show me what I recognize to be a very simple Laplace transformation. And they say, we don't even know where to start. And these simple little, simple equations start about this big, and you solve for time and different portions of the circuits, it often ends up eight pages on the, on blackboards, right, to get down to the final variables. As I look at what they got, my initial confidence turned to sheer terror. I had no clue. I started thumbing backwards in their book, hoping to jog my memory. Nope. No clue. In humility, I explained the most important Basics of computer programming. Last in, first out. And reminded them the engineering principle motto of use it or lose it. That was 25 years ago. And today I would have less of a chance 
to solve this calculus without spending hundreds of hours refreshing my mind. Fortunately, that math was never needed in any job I held after college. The company I worked for, I worked for them for 10 years. They hired me straight out of college. I was temporarily relocated to headquarters in Silicon Valley, California. I went through this extensive training program for, yes, 11 months, 10 hours a day, learning how to fix these machines, maintain them, and install them. And it was two pieces of equipment. 10 hours a day studying nothing about this gear. And I loved it. It was the highest tech in the industry. The time would just fly by. I absolutely loved it. And when I got back and was put into the field, I was assigned a mentor. He sh- I shadowed him for three months, installing systems every weekend, going out on emergency calls to fix these systems. He had a sign off on me that I was ready to take calls on my own. Now, six years later, when I did move to Florida and cover NASA and Harris, Throughout this time, every single day, we would get tech bulletins, engineering fixes, and monthly refresher courses and exercises to prepare for the times that these machines broke because we didn't know what hour or what day they were going to break. My wife, Stacy, knows all too well, about twice a month, my pager would go off in the middle of the night, and I'd have to head out to see what the problems were with these machines. I was usually met by a night shift operations director, usually in a complete panic because their corporate IT is down. And I'd walk into the computer room. I'd always ask them to leave me alone so I don't make mistakes on a $20 million piece of machinery because I could get nervous and distracted. And they'd leave me there with the machine. And honestly, I would talk to the machine. I'd go, don't worry. We'll get you back up. Let's see what you did to yourself the doctor is here, you're going to be fine. 25 years later, all those machines are gone. I've seen one in a museum, believe it or not. <laughs> that generation of computers was retired 15 years ago, and I haven't, I haven't touched one in 20 years. I don't even work on hands-on technology anymore. I'm, I'm a sales consultant. But unlike... That calculus, if you rolled one of those systems out of the mouthballs, I could put it back together. I could fix it, I could repair it, and I could get it running. I can still, right now, go back and see those wiring harnesses, those power systems, those thousands of circuits, the manuals in detail. They're in my head. Maybe I need to knock a little dust off of them, but I could do it, unlike the calculus. Why is this different? It was extensive training. It was daily. It was put into practice every single day for 10 years. I was an expert. I had embedded all of this knowledge in my mind. Think about that. I want to put a quote up from Thomas Menton, who was a 16th century Puritan pastor. He said, God's mind is revealed in the scripture, but we can see nothing without the spectacles of the Holy Spirit. Our calling is to have his word so written on our hearts and in personal relationship with him as a child of the living God that it's our sole identity. 
As David put it last week, our identity is to be a child of the Lord Most High. It's not being known as an engineer or a lawyer or a musician. It's to be known and have that intimate relationship with the Lord and that he knows you as his. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you've had from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Bruce introduces this concept of progressive holiness. I wasn't sure I liked that at first, but it's actually quite scriptural. Meaning that the Yeshua followers grow from one level of holiness to a greater level. And from one level of unholiness to a lesser level. This means you should be moving forward and onward in your spiritual life. Becoming more daily like Yeshua. This process begins at the time of your salvation and concludes at the time of your physical death. In this window of time... Whether it's open for just a few moments or over a hundred years, the goal we reach for is to become cleansed, further holy, and more like Yeshua. How you sow your life today will result in what you reap, whether it is holiness or unholiness. The Bible explicitly reveals what the Lord wants us all to do, is to become holy as he is holy. A lack of holiness in any of our lives is not because of his failure, but ours. Misconception number one. If I'm truly born again, I will automatically live a holy life. This is usually caused by a misconception of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Look at it this way. Your old self-focus and identity on who you are is gone. You are now a child of the living God. But we now have lifelong work to do in transforming ourselves by renewing our mind in the ways of Yeshua. And by grace, we will see the glory and eternal salvation that we were created to live. If you don't believe new believers struggle in becoming holy as he is holy, and that it needs to be a lifelong process, I suggest you sit down and read 1 Corinthians and study that some more. Let's look at 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to keep away from wickedness. For now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver implements, but also implements of wood and earthenware. And some are for honor, while others are for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be an implement for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from your youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, 
and peace with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. We see in this verse four things. We see, I'm put this on the overhead. We see we are to depart from iniquity. We are to leave sin. We are to cleanse ourselves, to leave our old unholy ways. We are to flee our youthful lusts, leave your selfish desires. We are to pursue righteousness, which is to chase after holiness. Hebrews 12 outlines this perfectly. Let's look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking only at Yeshua, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you would not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My soul, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're being punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time and seemed to be best for them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't it better to avoid having to be constantly disciplined? I don't care for it. Do you ever, do you even even see it sometimes when you're undergoing a test or discipline? Sometimes we have to pay attention. Sometimes we need our daily focus. It continues on in Hebrews 12, verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. I kind of need that one today. And make straight straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is impaired may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let's read Colossians verse 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised with Messiah, keep seeking the things that are from above, where Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Messiah, who is our life, is revealed... 
Then you'll also be revealed to him in his glory. In the book, Bruce also states that the threshold into all growth in personal holiness is always through the cleansing of personal sin. Why? Because your sin is nothing less and nothing more than personal unholiness. Therefore, any pursuit of holiness must begin by handling those areas of your life which you permitted to remain beyond the will of God. Understanding and applying the word of God as we progress in our personal holiness needs to be this daily focus. So we never have a lapse of who we are. If we are not daily renewing our minds and our focus on Yeshua, when temptations or trials and tribulations come, and they will certainly come, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. It is why God reminds us to be holy as he is holy. It is not a suggestion. I find many of us can become uneasy when trials and tribulations come. We certainly all lived through them last year. It's part of life on this earth. Now, we have peace during these times, whether we have peace during these times is based on whom it is that we trust. How well do you know and love him? How often do you pray? Do you only pray during trials? I'm going to share these four proven practices that we need to put into place daily to progress in our personal holiness. And again, the key word here is daily. I'll put this on the overhead. One, by reading and meditating on the word of God, studying its deeper meaning and relation to other verses in the scriptures. Also, by expounding further study in the Hebrew and Greek for deeper meaning and for further context. Number two, by allowing God's word to transform your mind, your daily thinking, having an active prayer life, opening up the communication vehicle directly with Yeshua. Number three, by experiencing the Holy Spirit working in our lives as the word is written on your heart, not only to prevent future sin, but driving your own desire to repentance. The result is when God is so manifesting himself in your life and dwells among you that it flows out to others. The result is tangible change in your heart and supernatural breakthroughs that fulfill your calling. Let's look at James 1, verse, uh, verse 5 here. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I found in my own personal assessment that I've applied this first in my walk. I've been following the Lord for 26 years now. Every time I've read this verse and prayed, God certainly had imparted wisdom on me. Every single time that I asked. The question is, have I always applied it 100%? Or did I go off that day and find I was conforming to some ways in my walk to the world? 
Was my faith truly 100%? Did I have Daniel faith? Did I cheat myself out of the blessings of fulfilling God's calling? We all need to pray for the Lord to help us to be single-minded. To only listen and to only focus on him. To help us have Daniel faith. Faith which is much larger than a mustard seed. I want to put Mark 1230 up on the overhead. We say this every day. We're here on Shabbat. Are we hearers and doers in practice? And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Take a moment and meditate that on a minute. Ask yourself, do you do this with all your mind, all your soul, all your strength? This profound love the Lord has for us needs to be kindled and recognized every day. Let's look at Luke 9, verse 23. And he was saying to all of them, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. How strong is our faith? In the book of Daniel, which seems so relevant for our times today, we see the first half of the book where Daniel records the events during the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem and capture thereafter, where he encourages the reader to trust the Most High God who controls all history. The second half of Daniel is on, on prophecy. First half, the king of Babylon orders to bring in some of these young men from the royal family and the nobles from Israel. And ultimately, his intent is to indoctrinate them. Now, Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, whom the king would give the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, We're not going to have any part of turning away from the Lord Most High. Let's look at this in Daniel 1, uh, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He said, please put your servants to the test for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Right from the start, Daniel would not break the commandments of God. He would not eat unkosher food. And we know Daniel later was called to interpret the king's dreams. The Chaldeans and the sorcerers and the magicians cannot interpret dreams. And they say to the king, well, king, tell us the dream so that we can interpret it. But the king knows that they will make up a story and lie. Let's look at Daniel 2, verse 14. And Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone out to kill the men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's officer, for what reason is the decree from the king so harsh 
Then Arioch informed Daniel of this matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him a grace period so that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to the house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah about this matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his friends would not be killed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. What's interesting here is Daniel tells the king's captain before he was given that dream that he'd be able to interpret it. Do you think Daniel had a strong, close, personal relationship with God? It's amazing. There's no other way. Let's look at Daniel 2, verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, May the name of of God be blessed forever and ever, for the wisdom and power belongs to him. It is he who changes the times and the periods. He removes kings and appoints kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to people of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things he knows what is in the darkness. And the light dwells with him. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change. And we see that he goes on further to deny the Lord Most High. Let's look at Daniel 3, verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods, nor do they worship with the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar began speaking and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden statue that I have set set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, lyre, trijon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of musical instruments, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, Very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire. And what God is there that can rescue you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not in need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, nor worship that golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to throw them into the furnace of the blazing fire. 
Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were thrown into the middle of the furnace of the blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was harsh and the furnace had been extremely hot, the flame and the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the middle of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up quickly. He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw into, bound into the middle of that fire? They replied to the king, absolutely, O king. He responded, look, I see four men untied and walking about in the middle of the fire unharmed. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants, of the, of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the middle of the fire. The sage traps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was their hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had even the smell of fire touched them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and surrendered their bodies rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. After the king continues making himself as a god, he didn't learn here. Daniel's called to interpret another dream in which we'll see that the king was now made to have the mind of a beast and graze grass for seven years. Daniel 4. Yet, leave the stump with its root in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him share with the animals and in the grass of the earth. Let his mind change from that of a human and let an animal's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living, we are the living, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. And he grants it to whomever he wishes and sets it over the lowliest of people. God sets them up, and God takes them out. This is a great example of the faith that we need in these days. This is the faith we all must strive for. The Most High is in complete control. There's a place called heaven And this isn't it. Our faith and our treasures are to be focused on him daily. I didn't have a slide on this, so if you have your Bibles out, or just make a mental note of Daniel 6, verse 10. This is in the scriptures. Daniel always prayed to God three times every day. Three times every day he bowed down on his knees to pray 
and praise God. It's no wonder he had this relationship. It's no wonder he had this faith. His mind was completely focused on Yeshua and where he was headed. In closing, as we approach Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, let's read Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Yeshua took some bread, and after the blessing, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken up the cup and gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day we drink of it new with you in my Father's kingdom. With Passover just around the corner, as you drink the first cup, referred to as the cup of holiness, as Yeshua has called you out by his blood, which he poured out for us for forgiveness of our sin, it's time to examine ourselves. As we reject any new normal and remember our calling as a new creation to true repentance, or in Hebrew, teshuva, which means to stop, change course, clean out the leaven, and follow him. First Corinthians verse five, uh, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse seven. So clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are fact unleavened. For Messiah, our Passover also has been sanctified. Therefore, let's celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the leaven, with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. When the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, they put blood on their doorposts so the angel of death would pass over. But Yeshua tells us in John 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out of the pasture. So this year, as we celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread and God's desire for us to remove and clean that leaven to become more holy in our walk, remember what the Father did for us as we remove that leaven from our hearts. Freeing us from bondage, he sent his Son to shed his blood for us from the bondage of sin. And one thing I know for sure All of us on this earth will one day take our last breath. And when that pager in heaven goes off, the Lord is going to say, don't worry, child. I'm here. You did well. You're okay. I'm going to call the music team up. And let's pray. Father, your desire for us as your children is to grow closer to you. Help each of us to purge any sins that we're hanging on to. Give us a stronger desire for you, Lord, to listen closely and to pray for your wisdom. Wisdom for us to walk the way that you want us to walk. Wisdom to understand your plan for us. Wisdom that guides us to love and trust only in you. Let your Holy Spirit pour out out on us, Lord. 
Lord, I pray for anyone here or online today, if they have some hardness in their heart, that you would remove it, that you would guide their footsteps on this lifelong path of righteousness that you have fixed in place by your perfect way for us. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom.